we doing, family? Listen, it is so great to be with you on this clearly fall day, and whether you are joining us online, uh, brothers in Kiwani, those of you in Rock Island, or those of you here in Bettendorf, listen, I am so grateful uh, that you are here. One of the things I love that is because of technology that we can gather as one church in locations all across our city, speaking different languages, all to gather and to worship the one and only God and King, to lift up the name of Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I don't take these weekends for granted, right? They just never get old. Every time we gather, God does something unique, and he does something miraculous. And I'll tell you, God has already done that this weekend, and I trust, even as in the rest of our time together, that he's going to continue to do the same. And so I'm glad that you're here. If, if you're a guest and we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I have the privilege of serving the Heritage family as the Bettendorf campus pastor, and I am so pumped uh, to lean into the word of God uh, with you this morning. Now, many of you you maybe know or don't know, but I absolutely love fall. Anybody in the room love fall? All right? Like, I don't love what comes after fall, let's be clear, but, but I love fall. I mean, I love football, even though the Sparties are terrible and the Steelers are on the struggle bus. Like, listen, I love football. I, I love the, the, the leaves changing colors, and, and I love apple cider and apple crisp. Like, come on, anybody with me here? Like, you're like, just shorten this message up. Let's go get some. All right? I hear you. Um, but I love fall, but what I love most about fall are the built-in kind of traditions that my family and I have a chance to share. For instance, we love to go on hikes uh, through the trails with the leaves changing colors. Um, we love to, to rake up all the leaves and then jump in them and hope there's no surprises from our little fur friends. And, you know, but what I love the most about fall is, is the times when we go to the pumpkin patch, right? We've already done that twice as a family, and uh, in fact, a few weeks ago, we went and hit up the corn crib, which is right over by the airport in Moline, and, and we just had a blast. I mean, especially my kids. My, my son Maddox is seven years old, and my daughter Ava is four, and I mean, they had an absolute blast. They, they ran around that place. There's like this large inflatable, and they're all jumping up and down on it, and, and then they had these little trikes, like tricycles, and they're just running around the racetrack, and you know, then there's, there's these huge hay hills, and they're climbing climbing up on hay bales. They're going down slides. I mean, it was awesome. But the best part is what we did last and in which we, my kids got to pick out their pumpkin, right? You don't go to the pumpkin patch without getting a pumpkin. And, and so this is where things kind of got a little bit interesting. You see, they had this area where all the pumpkins were. It's not really a pumpkin patch, but they had an area where they sell pumpkins because they want to make money. Imagine that. And so my son Maddox runs around this pumpkin area and he is looking for the perfect big orange pumpkin. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the big round ones with the perfect little green stem sticking out the top and, and so he runs around this area where all the pumpkins are and he finds five or six and he wants them all. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, no, buddy, that's just not going to happen. You're going to get one pumpkin. And so he grabbed the one that he wanted, and he, he walked proudly. I mean, he was just happier than a pig in slop, right? Like, he is, he is good. And then there's Ava, right? Ava, unlike her brother Maddox, wanted nothing to do with the nice, perfect, round, large, orange pumpkins with the green little stem. Oh, no, 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 no. She wanted the most hideously ugly pumpkins in the place. Seriously, I mean, she walked around, and, and I mean, hear me, I'm talking about the pumpkins with, like, the growths coming out the side of them, right? Tumors are growing, there's multiple colors, some of them are rotting, like, you can put your hand in there, and she's like, Daddy, this is the one I want, and I'm like, baby, no, it's not, you know what I mean? 
dads in the room, you know our role is to like come alongside our kids and to coach them and, and, and help them make good decisions, right? We know that. And so here I am. I'm like, she's going around and just ugly pumpkin after ugly pumpkin. And I'm like, hey, princess, no, no, no. See, that one is hideous, but this one is beautiful. Like, think about how we can carve this thing, and it's going to be amazing. And she's like, no, dad, I don't want that one. I want this one. And so this went on for a little bit, and then literally, I'm, I'm trying to coach. I'm trying to be a good father, and the Holy Spirit just stops me, just checks me right there. And it was like this moment where I, I just sensed him say, hey, Justin, do you know how Ava feels about those pumpkins? And I'm like, here's what's going on in my head. Yes, Lord, can you help me out here? Like, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to steer in the way she should go, Lord. You know, look what I'm saying? And, and, and he, he's like, no, 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 no. Do you see how she loves those pumpkins, the ones that are imperfect, the ones that are kind of ugly? And I'm like, well, yeah, Lord. And then just deep in my spirit, I sense the Holy Spirit say, that's how I feel about you. Just like Ava loves these pumpkins that, that have warts and they have tumors and they, they're not quite colored right and there's things growing on them that may not be healthy to touch. Just like she loves those pumpkins. He said, that's how I feel about you. And you can imagine which pumpkin we got, right? I mean... <laughs> hideous. <laughs> but here's, here's what I want you to hear today. That just like God in that moment told me, Justin, you have warts, you have gross, you have areas that are kind of ugly, things that literally they're falling apart, they're decaying. There's areas in you that are dark with sin. Even though that stuff is true about you, he said, I love you. And the same is true for you. And it's true for me that the God of the universe, the creator of the ends of the earth, loves you and I just like my four-year-old daughter loved those pumpkins. In fact, when he sees you or I, his face lights up like a little girl running around the pumpkin patch saying, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. And that's how the God of the universe feels about you. In fact, scripture, you know what scripture says about you? In Ephesians chapter 2, scripture says that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Another passage says that we are his beloved. When he thinks about you, he calls us his beloved. Zephaniah says about us, with all of our warts, with all of our imperfections, that the God of the universe rejoices over us with dancing and singing. Wow. That's how he feels about you and me. In fact, look at what 1 John chapter 3 says about you and I. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I mean, do you hear that? See what great love the Father has lavished on us with all of our imperfections, with all of our boils, with all of our tumors, even with the areas of brokenness and sin within us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He cherishes you. And the reason why I share that with you this morning is that I think every once in a while we all need a reminder, don't we? That even with our imperfections, that the God of the universe loves us. He cherishes us. He rejoices over us. But I also share that with you before we even jump into scripture together today, before we even get into what we're going to talk about. Because if, if we are a people who are loved by the God of the universe, the creator of the ends of the earth, a people who are loved with this lavish love, and if we today profess to be followers of Jesus, if you're saying Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, and you're saying I love him, the reality is, is that God asks us to do some things. And he asks us to do some things so that we can live into the fullness of what he's created us for and the fullness of what Jesus came to give us. 
But what can happen so quickly is when we start talking about the things that maybe God is asking us to do, is we can quickly fall into this trap and this mindset that we have to do all of these things in order for God to love us. In other words, I have to do all this stuff to make up for my imperfections and my boils and my sin. And the reality is today, what I want you to hear is that the God of the universe cherishes you. He loves you, not because of anything you've done or haven't done, but simply because he loves you. Let me put it a different way. There is nothing you and I can do today that will make God love us any more or any less. The God of the universe cherishes you just like a four-year-old girl running around the pumpkin patch saying, that's the one I want. That's the one I love. But the reality is for us as followers of Jesus, who are loved by God and, and who profess to love him, God does ask us to do some things. And they're things so that we can live into the fullness of what he has for us. But what I want us to understand today is that God only asks us to do what he's already done for us. God only asks us to do what he has already done for us. You know, a few weeks ago, we hosted Live to Lead here at the Bettendorf campus. It's a leadership training uh, conference. It was powerful. It was great. It's a way for our cities to welcome our cities into our spaces and become better leaders. But one of the communicators at that event said, great leaders don't ask their followers to do anything they're not willing to do themselves. Right? Great leaders don't ask their followers to do anything they're not willing to do themselves. Now, here's the deal. The greatest leader ever to walk this earth was a guy named Jesus. And Jesus wasn't even, not, Jesus wasn't just willing to do the things he was asking his followers. He had already done them. In fact, there's an example of this in John chapter 13. This is literally just hours before Jesus um, is crucified, before he's betrayed and he dies for us. And there's a moment where all of his disciples are together and he is on his hands and his knees washing their feet. I mean, this was the task of the lowliest servant. He would be down there washing off the grime and the dirt and the mud and the feces that were on their feet. I mean, can you just picture this? And when he's all done, he stands up and look at what he says in John chapter 13. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, he says, God will bless you for doing them. You see, Jesus was giving them an example, not just of washing feet, but saying that there is no task beneath you. He's like, if, if I've already done it for you, and then I ask you to do it, listen, do it. Because God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. So a few weeks ago, we started these series of conversations called Our Heritage and celebrating where, where we have been, but also looking at some of these values that are just core to who we are as a church family, but also who are core to the, those of us who profess to follow Jesus. And really, they're values that Jesus modeled for us, things that were already lived out in Jesus's life. And, and what I want us to see is that we're asked to live into these values by Jesus, but the reality is he's already lived them out. Let me, let me remind us of what these values are, you know, authentic love. I mean, Jesus, right? He's the one that chose us. Romans says, you know, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we still had tumors and warts and miscolored, he died for us. That's authentic love. Or intense spirituality, the way Jesus would get away from the crowd sometimes early in the morning, and, and he would just sit and remain at the feet of his father, simply so he could hear his voice, so he could be in his presence, but ultimately it was from that space that he could stand up and go and become obedient, and even obedient to death on the cross. 
You know, this, this idea of hopeful partnership in, in which Jesus didn't just do ministry alone. He, he called a ragtag bunch of, of guys and men and women alongside him to, to do the work of ministry, to fulfill the passion and mission, which was literally to, to see the restoration of all mankind, to see God's ideal realized again. I mean, Jesus literally embodied these values and lived them out. And last week we talked about radical generosity and, and faithful risk. And Jesus, I mean, think about the risk that he took when he stepped out of heaven beside the Father and he came to earth in the form of a little child. I mean, that was a risk. Or, or how about the risk that the people that he has chosen to carry on his mission in our world is you and me. Now listen, I know me a lot better than I know you, but what I know is he took a major risk to pick me. Anybody else understand? I mean, the reality is he lived these things out, radical generosity. God so loved us that he gave his only one, his only son, his perfect son to die for us. I mean, if that's not radical generosity, then I don't know what is. You know, we last week took a look specifically at these two values and, and the reality of faithful risk and, and radical generosity. And I encourage you, if you missed that message, to go back online and to watch it because it's not just powerful. It's foundational for us. If we want to be a people who live lives marked by faithful risk and by radical generosity, by way of just a quick review for those of you here, maybe catch you up. I mean, there are a few things that we looked at in the reality that radical generosity, it's not just a one-time event. It is a way of life for us. As those who have been benefactors of God's radical generosity toward us, to live in a way that is generous. We talked about, you know, as followers of Jesus, we forfeit our comfort for God's kingdom. There's things that we forfeit that, that maybe make us uncomfortable, but we want to see his kingdom come. We talked about how faithful risk is a precursor to divine provision. In other words, when we are faithful to risk and to do what God's asked, he's the one who will provide what is needed. And then we have this call to action to risk beyond recovery, but not beyond God cover. In other words, to risk in a way that there's no going back. It's only forward, but we're doing that under the cover of what God has asked for us. Now, how many of us can agree these are challenging? Anyone? I mean, these are incredibly challenging to live out. And, and that's why I'm grateful for Scripture, right? I mean, Scripture, literally from, from Genesis to Revelation, is just chocked full of examples of great women and great men of God who, who literally lived lives marked by these values and the things that we talked about last week. And we're going to take a look at a couple of those together today as we seek to just lean in to go, like, what does this mean for us? How do, how do I live this out? But before we do, what I want to make sure is clear for us is that what is our responsibility when we sense Holy Spirit prompting us to do something or to, to live out one of these values, to risk or to be generous? So what is our responsibility? And then ultimately, what is God? So don't miss this today. This is super important for us to understand. And so the first part is when the Holy Spirit prompts us and he asks us to do something, to risk or to be generous, the reality is, is that faithfulness is our responsibility. Faithfulness is our responsibility. In other words, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something, our responsibility is to say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. It's to, it's to be faithful, it's to be, it's to be obedient, which is, this is why it's so important that we actually live out intense spirituality and authentic love. We have rhythms where we remain at the feet of God so we can, number one, know his voice, that's important. And number two, to, to grow in our ability to trust him because here's the reality. There are things that the Holy Spirit prompts us to do that just aren't comfortable. Or in our minds, they just don't make sense. This wasn't my plan, God. There's things that maybe it's going to cost us something, and we have to get to a place where we can trust him. And that only happens when we sit at his feet and we remain. 
And that's why Proverbs 3 actually directs us this way. It says, Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Why? He says, do not depend on your own understanding. Because here's the deal. There's going to be things that just don't make sense. But we know that there's a God who sees the big picture. He sees it all and he sees what's going on. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he goes on to say, seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. You see, when the Holy Spirit prompts us, faithfulness is our responsibility. We have to trust in order to be faithful. And so what is God's responsibility then? Well, the reality is faithfulness is our responsibility. Fruitfulness is God's responsibility. Faithfulness is our responsibility. Fruitfulness, the results, the impact, the, the life change, the, you know, that's God's responsibility. But what happens so often with us is when we feel Holy Spirit prompt us to, whether it's to risk or to give, we try to war game out the whole scenario because we want to guarantee that, if, hey, if I'm going to be generous, then I need to know that there's going to be results, right? I'm not the only one that deals with this. But the reality is that's not our responsibility. We can't own that. We can't control that. But the reality is that's God's role because fruitfulness is God's responsibility. Now, there's, like I said earlier, there are examples from Genesis to Revelation of this. And I just want to look at two today. And one, the first one is actually the story of a woman named Esther. All right, we see Esther's story in the, in the book of Esther. And some of you maybe are familiar with that. Some of you aren't. I'll give you kind of long story short. Is Esther was a Jewish woman who by a number of a series of events, not because she desired it, not because she wanted it, Esther ended up becoming the queen of Persia. Right? And so here she is, the queen of Persia, the bride of the king. Well, there's a series of, of things that took place that were tragic in which the king of Persia was duped into making a decree and basically saying that all of the Jews, all of Esther's people would be killed. And so here's Esther, right? The queen to the king. All of her people are on the verge of being killed literally within days. And one of Esther's family members comes up to her and he says, perhaps Esther... Perhaps you've been positioned in this role for such a time as this. I mean, you know this story. And it was in that space that, that through, her, through Mordecai and her family member and, and just through the spirit of God stirring with her, Esther had a choice to make. Would she be the one who would, would go into the presence of the king and to let him know that he had been duped or would she walk away? Now, here's why this was complex. It's not like us today where wives, we just go into the presence of our, our husbands. If you're married, it's not a big deal. But in that time, if Esther would have went into the, the king's presence without him calling her, she could have been killed on the spot. I mean, this was a substantial risk. And so Esther has a choice to make. Will she be faithful? Will she live into the prompting that God had put her in and to see maybe the deliverance of people? Or would she shy away? Let's see what she does. Esther chapter 4 says this, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, to gather together all of the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And then listen to this. She says, and if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. There, this, is a, this is an incredibly difficult spot for Esther. The Holy Spirit is literally prompting her to take a risk that could cost her her life. He's asking her to sacrifice her comfort, her livelihood, her life for God's kingdom to see the, the Jews saved. And so Esther was faithful, right? Faithfulness was Esther's responsibility. So how does God respond? 
a long story short, through a number of events, literally, miraculously, uh, some things happen where the king, was, uh, Esther comes into his presence, the king, his eyes are open to how he was duped, and then through a matter of, of events, the Jewish people are saved. They're saved. They're, they're not killed. They're not eliminated as they were going to be. All because Esther was willing to be faithful. A powerful woman of God who answered the call that God had on her life. And as a result of that, the fruitfulness was a Jewish people, a nation who was saved. So let's fast forward to the New Testament. You know, years and years and years later, Jesus comes. He lives a life we couldn't live. He bears our sin. He bears our shame. He hangs on the cross. He dies for us. He raises again. He ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit falls. This is like church history in a nutshell, okay? So the Holy Spirit falls, and literally it fills the believers at Pentecost, and literally the church grows like gangbusters all over the place. Literally, thousands of people come to know Jesus. Their lives are transformed. It is miraculous what is happening. But one of those anointed leaders that God was using in that season in a specific city was a guy by the name of Philip. Philip. Now, Philip had went to a city, and literally, there were people in and through his ministry, there were people who were being, um, being healed. There were lives being transformed. People were placing their faith and their trust in Jesus. And I don't just mean onesies and twosies. I mean droves of people are coming to place their faith in Jesus, and the lives are being radically transformed. Now, let me tell you, as a preacher, as an evangelist, this is kind of like, this is your dream, Right? And I just picture Philip like, yeah, man, my ministry is thriving. We grew by thousands yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this is his dream. There's incredible God-sized things that are happening. And it's in the midst of all of this that God asks him to do something pretty unique and pretty surprising. And this is what it says, Acts chapter 8. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, in the midst of all the fruitfulness, in the midst of this amazing stuff that is happening, he says, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's like lives are being changed. People are coming to faith. They're being healed. And then, then God says to Philip, hey, you see that dirt road? I want you to walk down that dirt road south. I want you to leave all this stuff behind. And so Philip, I mean, that's crazy to me, and then Philip has a decision to make. Will he be faithful? Will he listen to the prompting of God, the voice of God? Or will he do his own thing? Verse 27, it says, so he, so Philip, started out. Philip was faithful. That was his responsibility. Even though the ask was awkward, the ask didn't make sense. I mean, there were so many good things happening. Philip was faithful. Our responsibility is faithfulness. God's is fruitfulness. So what happened, right? That's the next question. What happened as a result of this? Well, Philip's walking down this little dirt road south, and you know, he comes along a chariot, and, and the Holy, God prompts again, Holy Spirit prompts him, hey, go over to that chariot and look in. Now, if somebody looked in your window, you'd be like, what is going on? Anybody else? Like, this is already an awkward moment. And so Philip is obedient. He's faithful again. He runs up next to the chariot. And in that chariot just happens to be a prominent official in the country of Ethiopia. And that official is sitting there reading the scriptures, not able to understand what is happening in that passage of scripture. And so Philip, having looked in, having been obedient, having been faithful, was invited into the chariot and he starts with that very scripture, with that prominent um, Ethiopian official. And he starts with that scripture and he ends up leading him to place his faith and his trust in Jesus. The guy literally is baptized. And now that's miraculous in itself, right? Listen to what happened as a result. Because Philip was willing to walk away from the fruitfulness in the ministry of the city that he was in and to be faithful, God 
allowed him to interact with that Ethiopian. His life has changed. And now listen, for the first time in scripture, the gospel goes to the continent of Africa. And listen, that is still bearing fruit. Philip's decision is still bearing fruit today in the continent of Africa. Now that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Huh? I mean, but what's true of Philip and what's true of Esther is true of you and me that, that faithfulness is our responsibility. When the Holy Spirit prompts us, faithfulness is our responsibility. Fruitfulness is God's. Now let me give you a real-time example of this. Um, uh, this last week, I wish I had like a really cool story like of how I hurt my back, but you know, I wish it was like I was lifting up a car to save somebody's life or something like that, and that's not at all what happened. In fact, I bent over to pick up a piece of paper. I came up and I hit my head on a board. Anybody done that? And my whole body just like shook, and so my back just locked up. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go to the Y, uh, the Bettendorf Y, and I'm going to get in the hot tub and get in the steam room, just warm up, maybe stretch it out. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and so I go to the Y, and I get into the steam room, and I'm there all by myself, just sitting in the corner. And, and in all transparency, I was actually thinking about this message and just saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say to your people? And so I'm literally praying, I'm kind of thinking, and in walks this young guy, and he sits on the other end of the steam room. And so I'm still just prayerfully processing and then I get this sense that um, you need to talk to this this kid now here's the deal let me give you three unwritten rules for those of you who are not normal steam room goers okay (laughs) number one rule is if you come into the steam room and somebody else is already there you don't sit next to them okay like number one rule that young man that came in checked the box like all was good rule number two is you do not make eye contact all right that just doesn't happen. Like, you close your eyes, you look down, you, you pretend you're meditating, whatever it is, but you do not make eye contact. And number three, you do not talk to people in the steam room, okay? And so what is happening here literally is as I'm sitting there and I sense the Holy Spirit asking me to talk to this gentleman, he was asking me to break the rules of the steam room. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, he's not only asking me to make eye contact, he's asking me to talk to him. Like, this is radical. And so, and I get in a place and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I, I look at this guy as like, hey, yo, what's up, bro? No, I didn't do that. But what I, what I did do is I just said, hey, how you doing? And he looks up at me and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm doing okay. And, and so I asked him his name. He told me his name. I, he asked mine. I told him my name. And, and so I asked him a little bit about himself. He said, you know, I'm 18 years old and, you know, I just finished high school. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know he's kind of telling me a little bit. And I said, well, tell me, what's your dream? What's your dream? And he said, you know, I, I want to be a carpenter. I, I want to I build stuff. But he said, you know, I'm just, I don't know if I'll ever see that happen. I'm just walking through a lot of really difficult stuff. And I just don't know that I'll ever, I'll ever get to that. I don't even know if it's worth it. And then he looked at me and he said, so what do you do? Now this, you got to understand, in our community, when somebody asks you what you do and you tell them you're a pastor, that's not necessarily a bridge building moment, all right? Like, that is normally a thing in which somebody goes, oh, that's great, see you later, you know? And they like bolt. But in the steam room, I'm sitting there in this awkward pause and I'm like... I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church in the area, and this kid's eyes got so big. Seriously, his eyes got really big, and he got up, and he came, and he sat right next to me in the steam room, right? Like, he broke all the rules now. Like, we're, it's all off. <laughs> and he sits next to me, and he says, in the last week, I've had three people tell me I need to talk to a pastor, but I didn't know any. And he goes on to tell me a story that is just packed full of pain that he had endured personally, that his family had endured. 
Then he went on to tell me things that he had done to other people that had, that had hurt them. And, and he, he literally is pouring himself out just saying, listen, I, I, there people told me to talk to a pastor, but I just feel like I, there's nothing left for me. And I was able, here's why this story is powerful. Yes, it's awkward, but it's powerful. As I was able in that moment to tell him my story, to say, listen, you know, I've encountered hurt. I've encountered pain. I've made decisions like having an abortion as a teenager that I wish I could take back. And, and I've hurt people. And I was able to look at this young man and I said, but let me tell you, your past doesn't define you. Your past doesn't define your future. I was able to look at this young man and say, listen, the God of, of heaven, the God who created you, loves you. He cherishes you. Yes, he sees all the warts and all the challenges and, and the hurt you've caused, but he has not forgotten you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He has not given up on you. And, and then, in fact, I said, listen, you're, you'll be the one when you encounter him and he transforms you, you'll be the one to go back in the same situations with the people who are navigating the same dynamics and the same brokenness and the same hopeless situation, and you'll be the one that can give them hope. Now, why do I tell you this story? It's not so that you know that I'm the creepy man in the steam room. That is not why I'm doing this. But what I will tell you is that our responsibility is to be faithful. No matter how awkward, no matter how much it pushes us out of the comfort zone, no matter how much it costs us, faithfulness is our responsibility. Fruitfulness is God's. You know, God's writing a story in this young man's life. We spent probably an hour, hour and 15 minutes together, but and his story is not yet done. But I'll tell you, there are things that God used me in that moment to communicate. You know, simply because I was willing to, to, to hear the nudge from the Holy Spirit and to be faithful. And today, here's what I know about you and I. There will be things that the Holy Spirit is going to prompt us to do that are going to push us out of the comfort zone. They're not going to make sense to us at all. They're going to cost us something. For you, this may be that person that's hurt you. He may prompt you to take a risk and to forgive them. Or if you're in that marriage that just seems to be falling apart and and you're on the edge and you're saying, you know what, I just want to give up, maybe the Holy Spirit will prompt you to risk again, to trust again. Or or maybe you're in a space where the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to jump in to to help serve, whether it's in the ministry in the church or outside the church. And you say, listen, I want you to be generous with your time, generous with the gifts I've given you. And and your responsibility is going to be to be faithful. Maybe you're in a place where the Holy Spirit's actually going to ask you to be generous financially or, or to risk and to actually, you know, give faithfully in a, in a dynamic, trusting God. And, and that's what he's prompting you to do. Or, or maybe you're in a place where the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to, to tell somebody that addiction that you've dealt with secretly your entire life, but you've never told anybody about. Maybe you'd be in a place like Philip where the Holy Spirit will actually prompt you to, to, to leave your job to do something new or to move into a new city. And you're like, this just doesn't make sense. This isn't the city I wanted to, to go to, Lord. And he's going to say, listen, will you trust me? I mean, here's the reality. The Holy Spirit, there is no limit to what he will prompt you and I to do. There's no limit. It's not going to look the same for you. It's not going to look the same for me. But our responsibility is faithfulness. How we respond matters. And what I can tell you is most likely what he asks of you and he asks of me when it comes to risk and to radical generosity. It's going to be things that press us out of our comfort so that we can embrace his kingdom instead of our comfort. They're going to be things that, 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 that just don't make sense or they, they're, they cost us something. And that's most likely what's going to happen. But can I tell you, if you'll be faithful, there is no limit to what God can and will do in you and in through you. And that's true for us as individuals, but it's even true for us collectively as the Heritage family. 
In fact, it was, uh, you know, five years ago, we were, we were talking about our commitment of being a, a church that's marked by faithful risk and radical generosity. And, and we just had this sense that we needed to, to become a people and a church who were, who were bridging the gaps and who were advocating and, and stewarding the vulnerable children in our cities. And so it was through that heartbeat, the prompting to step into that, that we were introduced to the Davenport Public Schools. And I'll never forget, listen, I'll never forget when I was sitting there at Village Inn, right by 74 Bridge, right there in Bettendorf, and I was sitting across from this, the, the gentleman from Davenport Public Schools, and I was telling him our desire and our commitment and our, our wanting to come alongside them and to love and serve wherever they needed it. And I looked at him, I just said, so where do you need the most help? And this gentleman looked at me and and he said, well, listen, we need the most help at Jefferson Elementary in West Davenport. But he said, listen, they're the, they're the lowest performing school in our district. They're the lowest, one of the lowest performing schools in the entire state of Iowa. And, and then he looked at me and he goes, but, um, but you probably don't want to do that. It wasn't him speaking negatively about that, that, that school. What he's actually saying is that I just don't see people that actually want to engage here. And it was immediate, seriously, immediately I was like, that's exactly where the Holy Spirit wants us to be. So we had a choice to make. Would we be faithful? Would we risk? Would we be generous and jump into the gap? And here's the beauty. We have been faithful. You have been faithful. We have stepped in the gap and we have loved and served there for nearly five years now. And there's been moments along the way where, where there was opportunities to step in and to be radically generous. And so our responsibility is to be faithful. So what fruit has God brought? And that's what I want you to see today. I had a chance two weeks ago to sit down with a uh, principal there, Cami Montoya, and just talk about our partnership and some of the incredible things God has done, especially into an, an opportunity that we had to be radically generous in the last year. So take a moment, check out this video. You're going to be blown away. first connected with Heritage, I honestly didn't realize how big it could be. You know, we started business partners, and I'll never forget the day that you came and said, you know, we're here to serve you. You know, what are the needs of Jefferson? And I was new to Jefferson at the time, and I said, you know, honestly, I don't know yet. I have ideas, but I'm not sure. Um, and I thought maybe a few little things. You know, we talked about the encouragers to begin, that, you know, all of our staff members would have someone that would be, you know, praying for them and um, connecting with them and showing love for them. And I thought, that's the coolest thing ever. And I thought that would be the extent of it. You know, little did I know the amazing things over the next five years that would happen. Um, so yeah, I think it just far exceeded my expectations. I didn't know what to expect, but it's been amazing. We learned very quickly in our journey here at Jefferson that we can't just wrap around the kids. It has to be the families too. You know, if they're coming and they haven't eaten and they don't have housing and they, um, you know, don't have clean clothes on um, and they're itching from bug bites and things like that, they can't learn. Um, behaviors come from that sadness. You know, I could go on and on. You know, we had to help them before they walked in the door because it just wasn't enough to help them once they got here. So we got blessed with this amazing position called Family Matters. We worked through Iowa State to get that position um, and it was housed here in our building every day full-time and that position did wonders that position let us be able to help families get rid of their bed bugs help them get rid of their lice so they weren't itching when they came to school um, help them find housing help them get into the medical appointments um, make those connections with those community resources for these parents um, get them back into housing when they didn't have any um, I can tell numerous specific stories but one that you know pops into my head um, the 
first year this position was in place is the family showed up, it was five o'clock, we're getting ready to leave and they're in a van with what they had and they had nowhere to go. We didn't have that position to stay here with them till eight o'clock to come inside, we'll get you some food and we'll find you a place to stay tonight. Um, without that position, what would have happened to that family that night? I have no idea. I always say there's one position I could not go without in this building and that's, that's the one. Um, then unfortunately, the funding was cut for that position. And truly, we were, you know, we didn't know what to do. They had a caseload of 36 families open at the time. How were they going to serve those 36 and the other 36 that they would have served the following year? Um, so we kind of scrounged up enough um, to fund about half of the position, but we were $15,000 short. And we thought, there's no way. How are we ever going to do this? And Heritage at a business partner's meeting, you know, I'll never forget the day. You said, let me see what I can do. And when you called us, I think five of us were in tears just knowing that we got to keep this position again for another year. Um, we knew that it was just for one year um, and at that point and that we were going to be doing a lot of things to keep it full time. It worked. The district heard us. They listened to us. They then created a position very similar um, and now it is funded and hopefully will be a long term position. So just puts us in an amazing place. The generosity of people at Heritage have just been truly amazing. Um, things that we never would have expected to happen. These encouragers have been amazing. Wednesday PD snack, Quest for Christ, food pantry. We've done some sporting things. We do a family fun night at the end of the year. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas food. Heritage has really helped us provide Christmas for families that would not have a Christmas at all. We've done a cleanup day over the summer. Also refresh spaces. Just amazing things from the generosity of Heritage. When I came into this building five years ago, you know, we are a title building in the district. Um, been in the bottom five on our math scores and our reading scores for years and years. Um, through some of these things and being able to take these kids from, you know, where they were to where they are now. We, for example, you know, we had the highest second grade math scores in the whole district this past year. We have had some of the greatest gains um, in a lot of grade levels. And, you know, now teachers are coming to observe our Jefferson teachers teaching and in their collaborative teacher teams. And we've never had that before. So it's really built this sense of pride in these teachers, too, to say this hard work, you know, we've done it. For example, you know, our kindergarten last year came in about 36% proficient and left almost 80. That's huge. You know, not only do they overcome the things that um, a lot of people don't even have to, because sometimes they come in at almost 80% proficient. You know, that's not the case here. So these teachers have to do that double, double duty work to make that happen. And without these kids getting their needs met in this position, for example, we never would be able to be there. Oh, praise him, right? Oh, praise him. I mean, let's be clear, Cami Montoya and the team at Jefferson Elementary are top notch. You got to know that. But there's also a bigger story being written, isn't there? There's a fruitfulness that God is bringing, a life change, an impact in children that literally is going to ripple for generations to come. And it goes back five years to a conversation where we as a church body chose to be faithful. You chose to be faithful as you gave to missions. That positioned us to be radically generous when there's a $15,000 need to keep a key role that can help them bridge into the future. That's substantial. And what I love is that God allows us to be part of the story that he's writing through these spaces where he prompts us and he gives opportunity. And he just says, listen, your responsibility is to be faithful. I'll be the one 
who brings the results. I'll be the one who brings the transformation. I'll be the one who brings the fruit. And what's really neat about God is that when we're faithful today, he'll give us another opportunity tomorrow. When we're faithful then, he'll give us another opportunity the next day. And we get to have a front row seat to the work of God simply because faithfulness is our responsibility. But check this out. Faithfulness also leads to more opportunity. Faithfulness leads to more opportunity. And it's true, you see it all throughout scripture. There's a couple of scripture references in your outline uh, that you have. There's black text on your paper, but if you have a Bible with red text, it's red letter words. It's the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 where, where he says, if you're faithful with a few, I'll put you in charge of many. Or Luke 16 says, if you are faithful with little, I will, you'll be faithful with much. There's this picture, if you'll be faithful today, it'll lead to more opportunity tomorrow. You know, since that conversation five years ago, the Lord's also opened doors for us to, to love and to advocate and to, uh, on behalf of vulnerable children in two more schools in our cities. You know, Thurgood Marshall in Rock Island and, and Lincoln Irving in Moline. And there's opportunities where, where we as a church, you and I have been faithful to stand in the gap, to risk and to be generous. And God continues to give us opportunity. I mean, it's not just as we've been faithful to steward our relationships with vulnerable children in our cities. God has now opened the door for us in the last year to do this same kind of work all around the world in countries all over the world through a partnership with Zoe. And, and next week, in the coming weeks, we're going to hear a lot more about Zoe. But I got to tell you, God is doing amazing things. And it all comes back to a group of people who are willing to be faithful when they were prompted. And that is, that is true about us collectively. The same is the story that God wants to write through you and through me individually. But see, hear me. God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. And when he does prompt us, our responsibility isn't for the fruit. It's to be faithful. God's the one who brings the fruit. And when we are faithful, it leads to more and more and more opportunity. And guess what that leads to? people in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in your homes, in your workplaces, who view themselves as an ugly pumpkin with all their warts, with all their, their, their just ugliness, areas of them that are rotting, feeling like they have no value. When you and I are faithful and we risk and we're generous, it positions them to realize and to hear about a God that lavishes his love on them, that says they are his masterpiece, that he hasn't given up on them, that their past doesn't define them. And when we risk and when we're faithful and when we're generous, Lives are transformed. Cities are transformed. And there is no end to what God can do. So what? You may be asking, what does this mean today? What does this mean for me today? So what? And here's what I'll tell you. I trust right now that the Holy Spirit has already stirred things in you and promptings. Maybe there's been things in the past where, where you, you know, he's asked you to do something and you haven't stepped faithfully into it. And maybe today is the day where the Holy Spirit said, you know what, that I'm still asking you to do that. And for you, may, that may be your so what moment is to say, okay, God, today I'm going to choose faithfulness. I didn't do that last time, but today I am. Or maybe you're in a space today where the Holy Spirit's actually prompting you to risk by placing your faith in Jesus. You viewed yourself as the ugly pumpkin. And today you're hearing about a God who loves you, who's crazy about you, who, who can, not only loves you and calls you his masterpiece, but came and gave his life for you. Maybe today's the day you respond to him. On the back page, you're no guy. There's three steps in a sample prayer. May today be the day that you do that. Take that risk. It'll radically transform you. Or maybe there's a space in your marriage, in your neighborhood. I mean, there's no, no limit to where the spaces where I know that God is prompting you. And my ask for you today is to be faithful. So I want to create space for you just to reflect and to go, Lord, what are the areas 
that you're asking me to move. Or maybe this moment is a moment of commitment where you're saying, you know what, God, I haven't always been faithful, but from this day forward, when you prompt me, I'll say yes, Lord. When you ask me to go there, I'll say yes, Lord. When you ask me to do something awkward in a steam room, I'll say, here I am, Lord, send me. May that be our prayer today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. God, I am grateful that you never ask us to do anything that you haven't already done for us. And Lord, I'm also grateful that that your love for us isn't dependent on how we live or the choices we make. God, you just love us. You lavish your love on us. And God, I pray today that when you speak, that we would be faithful. I pray for my brothers, my sisters, God, whatever it is that you are stirring them right now, God, would you give them the courage and the boldness today to choose to say yes, to be obedient, no matter the cost, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter if it doesn't make sense, Lord, may they be faithful. May we be faithful. And God, may you bring about a fruitfulness, an impact, a life change, a transformation that only you can bring as a result of the decisions that we make today. So God, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you for how you're moving now. In Jesus' name, everyone said.